God is greater than all of those things. So he's going to meet us right now. I'm excited that God is going to meet us in his word this morning. So let's pray once again that um, God would meet us as we prepare to hear what he would say to us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and his shed blood for each one of us. I pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit's power that you would remove um, distractions, you remove cares and worries and troubles that we bring in today, and that your Holy Spirit would teach us that we would be open, pliable, usable. And Lord, uh, that those words that are not from you this morning, that we wouldn't hear those. We would only hear what it is that the Spirit speaks to us. So we give you praise again in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 We are find ourselves in Acts chapter 11. And as much text as we used last week, I've got very little text this week. And the funny thing is, is that um, it takes just as long to prepare a message that's 11 verses long as it does to prepare one that's 50 something. So... Um, let's read from Acts chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 19. I go to the end of the chapter. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As I studied this text this week, I couldn't help but come to this conclusion. Never, ever give up. Never give up on people. Never give up on someone. Because miracles happen every day. Miracles happen in people's lives every day. The Lord Jesus is alive and working in our, in, in our friends, in our neighbors, in those that we fellowship with. Miracles happen every day. And as I think about this text, again, our relationships, they don't really just begin until after we've got done exchanging pleasantries with each other. In the foyer of the church, in the entryway, we're really good people. We smile at each other. We comfort one another. We hug each other. We say all the right things. Bless you, brother. Right? And, and we have 
we put on our best face Sunday morning. We put on our best, uh, our, we put on all the love that we have, but it's sort of superficial and it's a greeting. You know, one of the things that drives my wife crazy, and she tells me this, that when somebody asks her, how are you doing? And they don't wait to listen. They don't really want to know how you're doing. They didn't ask that. What they wanted to do was to seem friendly to you and to seem like they were presenting a warm greeting and that they were just a really swell person. Well, as I, as I say, I think about the foyer and we're polite, we're warm, we're kind. And in the rest of our lives, though, are we not just prone to sin? Are we not stuck in our preferences? And are we not motivated toward the path of least resistance? Sometimes in relationships, they get tough. And rather than doing the tough work of being with one another, we go away or we decide not to engage because it's tough work. Well, I say the real relationships, they, they begin after that first 10 minutes. Let's think of relationships in only a 30-minute period. So we'll call the foyer a 10-minute relationship and then the rest of our lives is the other 20 minutes. Right? That first 10 minutes is easy. The real work begins after that 20 minutes is over. I mean, after that 10 minutes is over. The real work is that hard 20 minutes where we have to love each other, where we have to put up with each other's sin, with each other's shortcomings, with each other's real personality, the real things going on in our lives. That's when relationships begin. Well, people are going to become difficult. Do you believe that? That, that our relationships, the people we hang out with, the people we talk to, even in our own family, people become difficult to love sometimes. People become really difficult. It's hard to love someone who doesn't present lovable attributes, right? And I would bet that there's nobody in this room who's ever been unlovable, who's ever acted in an unloving and unkind way. That's only me who does that, right? Everybody else in here is good. Everybody else in here always remains polite and kind to their family members even, right? Sometimes we're the rudest to our own people, to the people we live with, right? So how much more so to the people that we're to relate with in church, right? Well, what I want to say is that that's where the real work of relationship begins, but that's to say this, that that's where the real work of discipleship begins, that's where we start discipling one another, right? I think that all Christian relationships, if we think about it, Christian to Christian is discipleship. All of our relationships, the fullness of who we are with each other is about discipleship. And I'm going to say this because I want to define for us today what discipleship is in a simple sentence. Um, there are many other sentences, many other writers who have defined discipleship in one way, but this one really hit home with me this week. Helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. That's discipleship. That's relationship, isn't it? Isn't that just Christian relationship? Is, is deciding to help someone follow Jesus deliberately helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their life. That's discipleship. That's relationship. That's supposed to be Christian relationship. That's how we one another each other. And that's how we one another each other well. So I say that Christian relationship is discipleship. It's discipleship making. And I started thinking about all of my 
Christian relationships. Because see, discipleship sometimes it makes it sound like you're supposed to have all the answers for your friend. If you're the discipler, right? Are you not supposed to have all of the right answers? You have it all together so now you can disciple your brother? No, you need to be discipled by the one you're discipling as well. You need to be open to being encouraged, right? Relationships are mutual. They're not one-sided. And so when you go into that relationship saying, I'm going to give you the Lord Jesus and tell you how to follow him. Well, do you fail at following the Lord Jesus well? Yes. Do you need a friend to encourage you? Do you need a friend to do deliberate spiritual good for you? To help you follow Jesus? I need that every single day. I need somebody out there who wants to do spiritual good for me on purpose. That they want a purpose to do spiritual good for me. And I'm hoping that in my relationships that we do that both ways. That somebody whose aim is to do spiritual good for me. To help me to follow Jesus. That I would in turn help them. It would be a mutual relationship. Sometimes, of course, in those relationships, there are those that have are further along in their walk or they're, they're more seasoned and all of that, right? And so they may have some more insight and some more answers for you. And that certainly is good. But if we ever get to the point where we can't learn from one another, even the one who's the most seasoned Christian, as he comes alongside somebody and he purposes to disciple that person, if he's not open to the fact that I can learn from that guy, I can learn from that gal. He's lost his ability, I believe, to disciple anyone. If he can't, if a, if a person, if a man, if a woman can't sit there and say, there's a lot that I could learn. There's a lot about following Jesus I just don't know. There's a lot of ways in which I fail to follow Christ. As, as Every day I find ways that I just have failed to follow him. Well, I need a brother, I need a sister to say, Jeff, I want to spur you on. I want to show you something. I want to encourage you. And we're going to talk a little bit about encouragement in a minute. But encouragement is a key. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions of us this morning. Ones that I've asked myself, okay? So, am I invested? Are you invested in someone that you might assist them in the full maturity of Christ's coming? Part of our discipleship process is to think long term, is to think Jesus is coming soon. We just saying that. Jesus is coming soon. So don't I want to present my friends to those I'm in fellowship with in Christ to the full maturity of Christ when he comes? Is that not my aim as a Christian? Is to present my brother or sister in the full maturity of who Jesus Christ is for them and in them when he comes. So I, I think about this question and I say, are we assisting somebody? Are we assisting our brothers and sisters to bring them to that full maturity in Christ? Now, as I know, some of you will ask that question, how? That's a big question, how? I started thinking about how this morning. I, I had prepared this message a couple of days ago. I was kind of done, thought I had it wrapped up. And... I sat at the desk this morning at 6 o'clock and I'm praying through some stuff. And I'm like, how? How? How is a good question? And then, of course, what always comes to my mind is what am I motivated by? What am I motivated by? I'm motivated as Paul spoke to Titus in chapter 1, 
verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. That's the aim. That's, that's the motivation. Motivated by the sake of faith of God's elect. I'm motivated for the sake of my brother's faith. I'm motivated that they would have knowledge of the truth and that their life then would accord with godliness, that it would line up with what is godly. Now, as, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I look at myself and say, oh man, how often does my life not accord with godliness? I need a brother. I need a sister. I need you to say, hey, brother Jeff, for the sake of your faith, I want to give you a piece of the knowledge of the truth of God, the knowledge of the truth of God, and then, then, for the sake of your faith, right, your life will start to accord with, line up with godliness. That's my motivation. And the motivation then leads to the how, and by now, everyone in this room who's been here at least once in the last nine months will probably say, I know what Jeff's going to say. He's going to say, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers as the how. I, I know you probably know me by now that I'm going to go back to that time and time again about the how. It's being devoted to the Word of God. Now, how do, we, how do we impart the knowledge of the truth to our brothers and sisters unless we have first been saturated Saturated, filled completely, constantly with the Word of God. We have to be saturated in that truth. You can't tell the truth unless you have it. I can tell you that right now. I know that for a fact. You cannot tell the truth about God unless you first possess that. And how do we possess it? They, they say devoted in the ESV, but I love like New King James or King James. They continued steadfastly. Continued to continue continually in the Word of God, right? Making first things first. The Word of God, the Apostles' teaching, fellowship, being together, one with another, with other brothers, with other sisters, not giving up on our relationships with each other, encouraging one another to grow in Christ. And then, check this out, is as we break bread, that is, sharing the communion of Christ, what do we do when we break bread together, except we confirm, once again, we reaffirm our confession of Jesus Christ, that his death and his resurrection are sufficient for you and for me. Reaffirm that together, again, as we break bread together. And then we pray, we seek guidance from God. And all of this only happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be empowered people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be steadfast about the Word of God, to be steadfast in fellowship, steadfast in breaking of bread, and steadfast in prayer. I need the Holy Spirit to convince me that it's time to pray. No matter how many times that I try something in my own power, in my own strength, in my own energy, but I need the Holy Spirit to convince my own heart that, well, you missed the point, Jeff. You need to be on your face. You're worried about struggling. Strife, and you've got conflict between your friends, and you haven't been able to figure out how to resolve that. The Holy Spirit needs to convince my heart daily. Get on your knees, brother. 
Get on your knees and do the work. Do the work. Hear from me. Get on your knees. I have to be convinced of that. And the great things that happen out of this relationship is that then they, they, they go on to do spiritual as well as physical good for the brothers and sisters. Notice that they later in, in Acts chapter 2, right, they, they get rid of all of their possessions and they, they distribute to any as have need, right? Because not only are they invested in doing spiritual good, but spiritual good comes first. Notice that, that spiritual good of an individual comes first. It should come first. I think we should do spiritual good for our brothers and sisters. Now, out in the world, right, when we invest in the world, when we invest in those that are outside of Christ, where do we go? We go to their physical good first. We meet a felt need. But in our body, in the, in the body of believers, we need to go to our spiritual good first. Deliberately, on purpose. I love that definition of discipleship. And I'm going to say it again. Helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. I think that is a great way to think about what discipleship is, what Christian relationship is. So all of that is an introduction to the text. <laughs> so all of that gets us to a place because there's, there's a piece of this text that just jumped out at me and grabbed my heart this week. Really, one verse just grabbed a hold of me, and it impacted me, and it made me think about all of my, all of my relationships, my ones at home, my ones in the body, my ones outside of, of the body. It made me think all about those things. So let's, let's go back to Acts 11, verse 19. So now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you see the scattered, they were not privy to what we just talked about last week. These scattered that they're talking about, those that were scattered when Stephen was being persecuted, were not privy to the information that we looked at last week when we said that the gospel was all-inclusive now. These Jews had no frame of reference whatsoever to the idea that a Gentile could be added to the kingdom of God. They had no frame of reference to understand that. So... Even Paul, later, in Ephesians 3, he kind of has to explain to the Ephesian Jews, right, that, that, that these Gentiles were also included. He says the mystery of the gospel is this. It's a mystery of the gospel that, that, that the Gentiles, that you and I, are included as one of God's people now. So he explains this. He says, For this reason I call a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can receive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed by the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that, Gentile, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So these who were scattered, 
They had no frame of reference. They, they couldn't understand this. Well, this all-inclusive gospel. So you see that some, in verse 20, preached to the Hellenists, to non-Jews. Now, I know sometimes you'll see in, in some texts that Hellenists can refer to Greek-speaking Jews. It can refer to uh, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. But in this context, it's speaking to just Greek-speaking Gentiles. Greek-speaking, non-converted folks. They then proclaimed Jesus to them, even to the Hellenists. And the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. As we get further along here, we look at verse 22. This, this is where the impact for me started to happen. A couple of things to notice, a couple of things that we talked about last week too, is that when God is on the move in our lives individually, bring it to the church and tell everybody. Encourage one another, right? Bring a word of encouragement saying, I've seen God move in my life. God moved in my neighbor's life. A neighbor was saved because the Holy Spirit came and convinced him of his need of a Savior. Bring that back to the church to edify us, to build us up, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. And what we see here is the same thing happened in verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. News of their conversion came to the church of Jerusalem. Somebody reported back and said, God is saving Gentiles. And he did it again. Because we just talked about it before, right? God is doing it in Antioch now. And they bring that back to the church to encourage them, to build them up, right? Well, one of the things that really jumped out at me was that they sent... Barnabas to Antioch. And I had to ask the question in my own mind. Why? Why Barnabas? Why did they send Barnabas to Antioch? Well, verse 23 says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. See, why did they send Barnabas? Do you remember back in chapter 9, in verse 27, that when Paul was proclaiming the gospel, that, they, that, that Barnabas was the one who came? Barnabas came to affirm that confession that Paul was making. Paul confessed Christ. They sent Barnabas to see if this is so. In, in 9.27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, he had, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You see, they sent Barnabas there to confirm that Paul was indeed a follower, right? He, he was affirming that to the church. Here again, God is on the move. God is saving Gentiles. And who does the church send to Antioch? But Barnabas, they send him for a good reason, I believe. I, I think that they send him because he was faithful. They sent Barnabas because he was faithful. He was a discerner, wasn't he? Why would they send somebody who could, uh, to affirm Paul and affirm his confession, and then to Antioch, they send him again? 
Of all the people they could send, they sent Barnabas again. Because I think Barnabas had proved faithful and that he was a discerner. He discerned the truth. Well, I want to get to that because it's really important when we're going to see a key word here in verse 23. When he, when he came and saw the grace of God, that is, he saw God's grace being poured out on Gentiles, right? He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was an exhorter. Remember that Barnabas' name meant encourager. He was an encourager and an exhorter. How can that be both at the same time? When you hear of exhortation, right, don't you often think about being corrected for bad behavior? I do. When I hear, when I hear the word of exhortation, it's, to me, in my mind, the first place I go is, you kind of messed up, and I need to tell you you messed up and tell you how to get back on the right path. Okay? Well, you see here that he was an encourager and an exhorter. That they go hand in hand. And I started thinking about people who encourage me. Encouragers don't just tell me what I want to hear. You, sometimes you think of encouragement as somebody coming along saying, hey, you're doing a great job. There's that too. But a real encourager would come on and say, you know what? For the sake of your faith, for that which accords with godliness, I want to tell you this, brother. I want to encourage you to move further on in your walk with Christ. I want to do some deliberate spiritual good in your life. That's an encouragement. It's an exhortation as well, isn't it? It's spurring one another on to love and good works. So not often do we do that, though. It's really hard. It's really hard sometimes, right? It's really hard sometimes to, to want, we want to shrink back from telling a brother or a sister the truth about their walk. We want to be seen as an encourager. We want to be seen as one who's always saying, you're doing well, you're doing great. That's not real encouragement to me. I discovered this. It took me a while. It took me a while to get to the point where I could hear something constructive from a brother that said, I want you to do better. I had to hear it through the years of, I love you enough that I want you to do better. I love you enough that I want to see you do better. But I used to hear it through the years of, I'm a failure. I'll never amount to anything. I'm awful. God can't use me anymore. All these things. I think I grew up in that environment, right? I grew up in the environment where that was what correction was. But I think good correction, good things in the Lord that we do with one another, this encouragement is an exhortation, exhortation because of love. Because of the love of Christ that is in me, I want you to experience that same love in a greater way. I want to deliberately do some spiritual good in your life. And then for me to sit there and say, I know that man, I know that person who's talking to me, they really want to do spiritual good in my life. It may be hard to hear, I don't like it. I don't think I like what I'm hearing about myself. And at the end of the day, I can finally go home and say, what an encouraging person that was. It's an encouragement to me that they cared enough to say, Jeff, I see you where you're at, but God has so much more for you than that. God has a lot more for you. That's an encourager. 
and a corrector. But I think that that's what Barnabas was. Because as, it, as he encourages them, what does he say to them? He says, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Back to Acts 2.42. Steadfast. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Don't waver. Steadfast. Like, doggedly pursue this, is what he's saying. Doggedly, doggedly, without um, fail. Purpose yourself to remain faithful to the Lord. And then it gives his qualification. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now I think about this, and I ask this question of myself, because a brother actually encouraged me to look at this in my own life. And that's this. What about your usefulness? What about your own usefulness? You see, Barnabas here was operating in his giftings, wasn't he? He didn't fail to operate in his giftings. He was an encourager and an exhorter. Right? He was encouraged. He, he was steadfast himself in operating in the, in the ways that God had gifted him. God gifted him as an exhorter. God gifted him as an encourager. And because of his faithfulness, the church recognized that. And when it came time to say, will you affirm what's going on in Antioch? Who do you send? You're going to send Barnabas. Because he was faithful in the past. He operated in his gifts in the past. And he's operating in his gifts here. Because he says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And I asked this question to myself. Is, what about my own usefulness? What sort of gifts am I operating in? We can look at Romans chapter 12. Because in, in Romans chapter 12, I want us to see um, verses 6 through 9. I want us to see something here. Is that we all have some giftings that God has endowed us with. Some giftings, ways to operate in our giftings with each other. That's really important. That discipleship, you need to operate when we disciple one another, when we are in relationship um, with Christ with each other, that we need to operate in the giftings that God has given us and not be longing for somebody else's gifting. Not be trying to do what God has equipped another person to do, but what has God called you and equipped you to do? Operate in those things. Operate in those things so that you can be the part of the body that you were designed to be. Right? And oftentimes somebody wants to be a part of the, a different part of the body. Right? You know, there's a, another part of the body that's kind of shiny and bright. I kind of want to be that part. Um, I don't want to be the armpit for Jesus. You know? <laughs> I want to be whatever. I want to be whatever's glorified, right? But, but whatever it is, whatever part it is that God has called you to, the, the idea is that we operate according to those gifts. Um, so Romans 12, beginning verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Think about that. According to grace, God has bestowed something upon you, and it is only by grace. You don't deserve this gift. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you out of his own love for you and for his purpose. That's the other thing you want to remember that, is that whatever gift God has given you, it's not for your purpose. It's for his purpose. He's given you a gift for his purpose by his grace. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And all of this is overridden by verse 9, I think. It's all tied into this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. If your love is genuine, you're operating in your gifts. You're abhorring what is evil. You will hold fast to that which is good. And when you hold fast to that which is good, then guess what you have? Guess what you possess? Guess what you own now? You own the ability to do what we said about discipleship is to purposely, deliberately do spiritual good in your friend or neighbor's life. If you're operating according to those gifts. That is what I see Barnabas was doing. So what about your usefulness? And then where is the evidence of that? Is As we operate in our giftings, right? There, there's evidence that those giftings are working. Because in those giftings, as we are operating them, they bear fruit. What sort of fruit then are we bearing that we can share with one another? And I, you know, I think that this is is great for us to see in Galatians chapter five. Let's look at Galatians five, beginning in verse twenty-two. Now, this is as we're operating our giftings according to the grace that God has given us. What is produced? What's produced by the gifts is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see... That's where we get. We're envying the gifts. And guess what? We've lost our fruitfulness. Envying another's gift. We've lost the fruitfulness. In the fruitfulness of our own gifts. Notice that these gifts, it starts out the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All the things after love are just flavors of the same fruit. They're just flavors of the same fruit. Love Produces in us joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're flavors of the same fruit. The fruit is love. Where do we get that love? Where do we get that love impossibly to love our brothers and sisters in such a way that, that our desire is to do spiritual good for them? Where do we get that love? I go back to this time and time again. It is to recognize that I am loved. I've got to go back to the cross of Jesus Christ. I've got to go back there. I've got to see the evidence of all of my sin poured out upon him. And all of his love by his grace just freely given to me. When I understand that that's how much I am loved, then my pursuit then is to love others, right? To do spiritual good in their lives. And you notice, of course, that he says steadfast purpose too. That Barnabas, steadfast purpose. Steadfast. 
continually in the Word of God and fellowship and prayer. Well, what I want to get at, and I haven't even got yet to the verse that really jumped out at me, but we're, we're there. But I'm giving you all the reasons why this jumped out at me. Because I got really excited about this. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. First, I want to think about this. The encourager then sent for God's chosen instrument. Right? He was an exhorter and an encourager. And he went, they need God's chosen instrument. He was chosen. Saul was chosen to minister to the Gentiles. I'm going to go get God's chosen instrument. The right one for the job. He could have stayed and said, I want the glory for myself and I want to invest in these people. No, God has a man. And I know him. I met him. I know this man. And that man is Saul. Saul was God's chosen instrument for this purpose. I'm going to go get him. That's good discernment, isn't it? To say, I, don't, I want the right person for the right job, for the right people. Right? That's the same thing in our discipleship. We can't disciple everyone in our body. None, none of you can disciple everybody in the room. But you're the right person for another person. I don't know who that is. But there's somebody in this room who is the right person for that. That God's called you for that. That God has gifted you in a special way for that person. Well, see, so he goes and he gets, he gets Saul. 25, 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. That's what jumped out. For a whole year. That's what jumped out. For a full year. How often do we give up on a person the minute they make us mad? How often do we give up on a person when they fail in their they fail? They're a sinner like you and me. And yet they sin as if you've never seen anybody sin before, as if you've never done it yourself. And somebody sins and fails to follow Christ as they ought to, to follow him. How often do we as a body sometimes just dismiss that person? Done. I got to believe that who they were proclaiming the truth of the gospel to here, these Gentiles who were newly saved were sinners. I'm pretty certain they were all sinners like you and me. And he says here that they met with the church and taught a great many people for a whole year. They invested a year with these people. They stayed with them to ensure that their spiritual good was done to them, right? For the sake of their faith, for the sake of that which accords with godliness, their knowledge of the truth, they stayed with these people for a year. Well, again, as I think of, of this, this, this seems to me like it's the Great Commission completed. It's on a completed end of the Great Commission. Because when we think about the Great Commission, of course, you see in Matthew that, that it, it tells them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's the completion of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Could you imagine going to a, a new people who had never heard of Christ? Imagine this. Probably in your neighborhood. Probably the grocery store. Somebody who's never heard of Christ that you're going to witness to. And you're going to tell them the truth about Jesus. And they profess faith. 
and then you walk away, and that's it. They don't know how to follow Jesus. They don't know how to do that. They need you. They need you to see it through, to teach them, and all that God has taught you. Isn't that the simple part of discipleship? What, where does discipleship be, begin? I believe it begins with this. God has shown me and taught me something in his word. I'm next to my friend. Hey, let me show you what God has taught me in the word about this. Let me show you what God has taught me. Let me show you how God has taught me and told me what, how I ought to obey that. Let me show you what it looks like to try to obey that. Let me show you that. Let me teach you that. We have that, right? We have that. That, that is, is completing the Great Commission. It's staying with someone to ensure that they are moving toward godliness, that they are moving toward the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. So I see this thing that happens, evangelism and discipleship. Everywhere I look in the scripture, I see that they work so close together. That the truth of God is proclaimed. That the gospel is, is spoken. And people are saved. And discipleship begins like it's immediate. It begins right then. I am a Christian. You are a Christian. You have now professed faith. faith and we are now in this together. We are now in this together. Well, notice here that a great many people, a great many people were taught. A great many people were called Christians first in Antioch. It's not everyone. Notice it's a great many. A friend of mine here in the church taught me something very good a few weeks ago. Being faithful, available, and teachable. Those who are faithful, available, and teachable, those are who disciples are. They're faithful, they're available, they're teachable. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Somebody who's faithful, available, and teachable. It takes humility to be teachable, doesn't it? it? Takes humility to be teachable. So there were some, many, many who were called disciples. And I believe that all of those were those that were faithful, they were available. And they were teachable. So if I could end this with one thought here that I want us to think about, and I thought about this all day Saturday too, is we as a body of believers ought to be this, upward focused. Upward. Our salvation doesn't come from each other. Our salvation comes from God. Our relationship that's the most important one in your life more important than your spouse, more important than your children, the most important relationship you have is between you and the God of heaven. And the only reason why you have that relationship is because he sent his son to die for you. A love that knows no ends. A love that would lay down his life for you and for me. That becomes the most important relationship in your life. But here's the thing, that when God transforms us, that when God helps us to become upward focused, heavenly focused, God focused, then the resulting thing is that we are others oriented. Right? We are others oriented. And I thought of this this week. I am in it. I'm in this thing. 
We talked about being all in way back when. I'm all in. But why am I all in? I am all in so that you will win. I'm all in that you would win. I, I think I'm going to win because I have Jesus, right? I have Christ. I believe I'm going to win. I believe I've won. I believe that Christ has won it for me. But I'm all in. I'm all in for this because this, I want you to win. I'm all in it for you to win. Now, if that is our Christian posture, if that is our relationship <coughs> posture with one another, I'm in it so you'll win. If you could say that to your neighbor, I'm in. Jan says, I'm in it so Cindy wins. I'm in it so Cindy wins. That's important to me. I'm all in this gospel because I want Cindy to win. As Jan would say. Doug would say, I'm all in it because I want Joe to win. If that's how we treat each other, right? That's discipleship. That's Christian relationship. To me, that's what it's all about. Well... And then this, there's an upward call for all of us. And we're all going to gain the prize that is Christ Jesus, right? I'm in it to win it because I want you to receive the prize. I want you to receive the prize when he comes. I want to receive the prize when he comes. And so I'm hoping that all of you will help me win the prize. That you will be in it so that I win it. And that I will be in it so that you win it. And what do we win? We win a glorious life. Forever in heaven, in the presence of God. Amen. Let's bow our hearts and take a moment to just kind of reflect on the word quietly. While everybody's head is bowed and eyes closed and just giving thought to this idea of we're all in this together. And we are all in this to support one another and to encourage one another. When we meet here on Sunday mornings, it's not just to worship God. It is that. But it is also to minister to one another and to encourage one another. And... I would submit to you this morning that it's impossible to have a group of people here this morning, this side, wherein nobody is in need of being ministered to this morning. Not only by God, but by each other. So I would encourage you and me that if you have a need, if you have a burden, would you just raise your hand this morning? And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let us together pray for each other, pray for ourselves, pray for those who have raised their hand, confessing that there are burdens on their hearts that are weighing heavy this morning and that they would desire to be freed from that burden.
through the power of Jesus Christ. Father, we bow humbly before you this morning in the holy and precious name of Jesus. We would confess to you, O God, that we are imperfect yet perfect in your sight through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, we would pray this morning corporately for those who have asked for prayer. You know their hearts, you know their needs, you know their burdens, you know the weight that is upon those hearts. And I pray, O oh God, that this morning that you would reach down and that you would touch those hearts, that you would encourage them, that you would lift that burden, that you would replace the turmoil with peace, the pain with comfort, and if there is one here this morning, O oh God, who does not know Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior, would you accomplish that in their hearts this morning? Would you give them the courage and the strength to confess in their heart Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? We know, O oh God, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, oh God, that it would be sooner rather than later, that it would be of our own volition rather than under the rod of Christ. Father, thank you for each one here. I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen each one, encourage each one, and that we would go forth this week in the joy and the admonition of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.